invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm 46. So next week, next Lord's Day, we'll finish our series through Mark, uh, looking at the resurrection of Jesus there in Mark 16. Um, Looking ahead beyond that, uh, just after the new year, I plan to begin a series on uh, the Ten Commandments. So that's where we are going next. But today, uh, we're looking at our Psalm of the Month. Uh, As we've been doing once a month, Psalm 46 will be our Psalm of the Month for December. And when we do this once a month, we have uh, broadly two goals. One is, of course, as any time looking at the Scriptures, to uh, grow in our knowledge of the Lord and the Gospel, uh, our faith in Christ. But secondly, that we would be able to, as Paul writes, sing with understanding, sing the Psalms with understanding. So let's look together with, at, at, at uh, Psalm 46. I'll read this whole psalm. Uh, hear God's holy, infallible word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Psalm 46 opens with a great, fairly well-known statement. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It goes on in the next verse to maybe a lesser-known statement of the psalm, but But really, probably the great conclusion of the truths of this psalm in verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. And I want you to pause and and think about what we actually sing and confess there in Psalm 2. We will not fear. The psalm goes on to describe um, terrible things, mountains falling into the sea, uh, earthquakes, uh, these cataclysmic events, and, and some of the language is, is hyperbolic, but it, it all the point is total instability, fearful things. Even in light of things like this, you know, imagine a nation develops such nuclear other technology, they can blow a mountain into the air and it falls into the sea. What a, what a terrible, fearful thing that would be. Uh, the psalmist is saying, no matter what happens, even... Mountains falling into the sea, beyond what we can imagine, we will not fear. How can that be? Uh, Is that possible? Is that realistic? I can think of things right now, personally, I'm kind of afraid about, fearful of. Uh, The nature of fear with humans is that it's often based primarily on what we believe and what we perceive and not necessarily entirely on Reality, actual circumstances. Uh, One person can jump out of a plane and 
be absolutely terrified, as probably most of us would be, and someone else can jump out of a plane and feel safe, not feel fear, because they've done it many times. They know the equipment. They trust the equipment. I'm assuming these people have parachutes, of course. Uh, they, know it's, they know it's safe, relatively. Uh, we can be in an unsafe situation unknowingly and feel perfectly calm and safe. Uh, we can be in a safe situation, but because of how we perceive it, we can uh, feel unsafe. Uh, a few years ago, Carly and I were at the beach in Florida for our anniversary, and um, there had been a shark attack at this beach the week before, and so that was on our minds a little bit, and we're sitting in this little uh, restaurant, beachside restaurant, and on the news, they're talking about a beach in North Carolina that had two shark attacks at the same beach in one week, uh, the week before, and so we are thinking a lot about sharks. There were, there were two guys there that worked in, at the restaurant, lived there at the beach, who were talking to people about this. And they said they'd lived there their whole lives. They grew up in the ocean and, you know, had no fear of sharks at all. And, and you know, we had relatively much smaller experience with ocean and sharks. And so we're feeling a little, a little fearful about it. Um, statistically, it's, it's not uh, so much of a danger compared to other things that we do uh, to, to any individual. Uh, my, my point is simply that we humans often don't get our fears straight or rational. We, we get into our cars every day, one of the most dangerous things that we do regularly, and, and don't think much about it. We don't fear, um, and yet we might be nervous about getting into a plane, one of the safest things that we do, uh, one of the safest ways we travel. Um, the confidence and resolve of Psalm 46, though, is not from statistics or circumstances. Uh, it's because of a f- firm belief about God, who God is. Uh, The psalmist says, I will not fear, I do not fear, because this is who God is. This is who my God is. Um, You can't have this godly biblical view of the world, of circumstances, of dangers, without knowing this God, the God of Psalm 46. That doesn't mean that we, as believers, don't experience fear. We don't feel fear in any sense. Um, or that we should doubt our faith if we ever feel fear. Uh, we can see the truth of that in, in Jesus' experience himself, particularly at Gethsemane. Jesus was, was terrified of what he was going to face that night, the next day, uh, on the cross. Uh, Calvin, um, John Calvin helps us understand what, what this does mean. It means whatever may happen, believers are never overwhelmed with terror but rather gather strength and courage sufficient to allay all fear. So I want to look briefly at the the God who's presented in Psalm 46 uh, this morning. And particularly, my hope is that you'd be comforted and confident in the knowledge of God as your refuge, uh, a God who is with you. So a few things this psalm points us to about God and then a a conclusion uh, looking at the outline. So first, God protects. God protects. Uh, Verse 1, again, the familiar opening, God is our refuge and strength. Verse 7, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Uh, And the the, the psalm ends with that statement as well. Uh, These are are similar terms, stronghold, refuge. A refuge is a a shelter, a safety, a place you can escape to. Um, A stronghold is is something, you know, more, more specifically, uh, something that that you might escape to, a, a palace or a castle or something like that. Um, You you probably are familiar with uh, the title of Martin Luther's hymn based very loosely on this psalm, 
A mighty fortress is our God. It's because of that theme throughout this psalm. Uh, a refuge or a fortress. There are several descriptions, again, of the reason uh, of the need of security. Again, verses 2 and 3 describe mountains falling into the sea and uh, waters roaring and, and earthquakes shaking mountains. Net massive Natural disasters, and, and in, in somewhat exaggerated language, of course, mountains falling into the sea especially. But, but natural disasters are an example to us that we don't have control. Right? They're reminders to us that we don't have ultimate control. Uh, even despite all of the modern technology and modern building codes and so on, every, every place in the world has things that remind that we're still vulnerable uh, in a fallen world. So... If you're on the coast, it may be hurricanes, or in California or Japan, it's earthquakes, and all over the Pacific Rim, earthquakes and tsunamis, the possibility of those, or uh, it might be forest fires and rock slides here in the West, and, and, and many other things serve as reminders of the uncertainty, the sort of out-of-control nature of, of life still. So nature in a fallen world reminds us of this, so do, so do humans, so do geopolitical realities. Verse 6 says, the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. Uh, an uproar, the, the Hebrew word there means to make a ruckus, basically, to, to cry out. And, and it's a very, very similar statement to what we find in Psalm 2, the nations raging. And then Psalm 2, the nations are raging against God and his rule and against his design, against his Messiah, in fact, it says. Um, we often think, and maybe somewhat rightly, of, of other nations raging in that way, uh, places where Christianity is illegal and people are per- persecuted in particular ways. Um, of course, increasingly, we experience and see the plotting, the raging of our own nation against the truth, against Christ and, and his church. Um, we see that in a rapidly changing culture. We, we wonder what what will it be like to be a Christian in 20 years? Or what will our grandchildren or great-grandchildren experience in this way? There are other ways that, that faith and, and our personal worlds can be, can be moved or shaken, as, as verse 5 describes it. That it, it can be thrown into turmoil by family strife or tragic accidents, health, death. The psalmist is saying, again, in the midst of these, in the midst of anything, God is your refuge. He is your stronghold. And the psalm is not saying that bad things won't happen. Right? Those bad things, these hard things are presupposed in the psalm. They're there. Again, as we've discussed in recent weeks, they're promised by Jesus. They're demonstrated in his own life and teaching. The world will be a mess. It will be constantly changing. The psalm pictures that, but it's not a surprise to God. The the assurance of this psalm is rooted in the fact that God is not shaking. God is not shaken. God is not moved. He is not changing. Uh, His his promises remain for you. He will be your God forever. You will be with him forever, raised to new life, uh, no matter what happens in this life. Uh, Jesus said in John 16, I've said these things to you that in me me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then uh, John may be remembering these words in 1 John 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Christ, our union with him. 
Uh, verse 6, uh, response to these things, he, at the end of verse 6, he raised his voice, that's God, and the earth melted. It's figurative of, of everything bending to the will of God, melting before his, his word. Uh, verses 8 and 9, uh, come, behold, that is, see this, under, understand with the eyes of faith, behold the works of God. Uh, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. And it describes God ending war, breaking bows and cutting spears and burning chariots, all these implements of war. Recognize, the psalmist says, that everything, the, the existence of the war and the end of the war is, is the work of God. It's by his ordaining power. Uh, everything will be consummated one day in, in perfect peace. Uh, no more implements of war. Elizabeth Elliot, in, from, uh, who many of you be familiar with, who, who died just several years ago. Um, she famously was married to Jim Elliot, who, who was killed trying to reach and share the gospel with, uh, with uh, South American tribes. Um, Elizabeth Elliot was remarried, only to have her second husband uh, also die shortly after that from, from disease. Uh, and she writes, uh, reflecting on that, and reflecting on Psalm 46, everything that has seemed most dependable has given way. Mountains are falling. Earth is reeling. And such a time is a profound comfort to know that although all things seem to be shaken, one thing is not. God is not shaken. So God protects. Secondly, God is present. God is present. I turn your attention again to Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, one, one way to literally translate that is a very, a very findable help. Or if, if you have the NAS, as I have here, you have a note at the bottom of your page. Uh, it says, or abundantly available for help. The idea is God is, is present in, in the sense that he's, he's abundantly available. He's always there to help. He's never too busy, never overwhelmed, never disinterested. Any, any time of day, any situation. I think a, uh, an interesting and helpful parallel in our society in terms of a help that we can simply assume all the time uh, is, is the emergency room. Right? The emergency room is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, all year long. Um, they don't turn anyone away. People are able to help there you know, within, within human limits. Um, it's an incredible thing for us to be able to assume in our, our modern society. What is more comforting, more powerful than constant awareness and, and full belief of the constant nearness of God? And the, the, the scriptures present this to us powerfully. Deuteronomy 4 uh, asks Israel to think about this. What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Uh, Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Uh, Verses 4 and 5 speak of the the great security of the city of God, as as it's called. Of course, the city of God is Jerusalem. And these these statements remind us maybe of Psalm 48 that we studied a few months ago. Uh, In Psalm 48, the city of God is is described, Jerusalem, as you know, the, the greatest, the strongest, the most beautiful, you know, high in elevation, the, the most beloved city in the world. Um, 
none of which it is, literally. Uh, but why is it described in, those, in that language and in such powerful security? Because it is the city of God. Uh, it's God's city. Jerusalem stands for not just the city, not the, the bricks and the dirt and so on, but the people. Uh, these are God's people. Um, they're perfectly secure with God. Um, it's not because of its history or its culture or its traditions or its resources. It's because of the presence and blessing of God. And that's, uh, that's reiterated uh, repeatedly in this psalm. Verse 7, again, the, the Lord of hosts is with us. That's a refrain repeated again at the end. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. And, and how can we sing that without thinking of our Lord Jesus, the greatest example of that? The Lord of hosts is Emmanuel. The Lord with us, uh, God with us. Um, and Jesus promised, his departing promise to his disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, I challenge you to consider that for yourself, for your family, for our congregation here. Uh, what, what gives us hope or security, a sense of, of security and stability? Um, we, we'd face the same temptations to place that hope in Something else, and our resources, our traditions, uh, our, our smarts, our whatever it is, it, it's only in the blessing and the, in the presence of God with us. Uh, in, in just thinking about our congregation, you know, in, in comparison with the world, comparison even just with our locality here, our, our city, our, our little congregation is pathetic, right, compared to... Just schools and, and other organizations around. We're small in resources and numbers. And, and in one sense, we can think of the church in that way, in, in the world, uh, comparatively. Uh, the church is divided in many ways. It, it lacks the tools and resources and political power of the world. And we, we need to think seriously. How, how is it the church is secure? What does that even mean? Again, as we face rising cultural and, and government pressure, we might be tempted to place our security somewhere else. To so think, you know, it, again, thinking about our congregation, think if we just, if we just had more money, we just had more resources, then we'd, then we'd really be secure. Maybe if we had more lawyers in our congregation, we'd be safer uh, and more secure as we move forward. Maybe if we had a cooler pastor, whatever we might come up with. None of those things provides security. Uh, none is powerful enough. Only God is refuge and strength, and we need to know and claim and rest in his presence. Thirdly, uh, we don't fear, the psalm says, because God provides. God provides, and I, I want to direct you to particularly the word strength in that first verse. God is our refuge and strength. Certainly that, that points to the strength that God provides to his people. Uh, when they're weak, when they're outnumbered, when they fail, when they're down, when they're fearful. Um, verse 4, look at verse 4 as well, where it says, There is a, a river whose streams make glad the city of God. A river whose streams make glad the city of God. Again, the city of God is Jerusalem. So this is a very strange statement. Uh, there is no river through Jerusalem. It's a, a figurative, as, as much of the psalm is, a figurative description of God's providing, nourishing his people like a river. Um, the city of God, again, stands for the people of God. God provides for his people like a river. Uh, and thinking about a river and the presence of God, 
our, our minds go to other places in the Bible, maybe particularly the, the beginning and the end of the Bible. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, the presence of God was perfect with Adam and Eve. Uh, perfect fellowship and provision. And he walked with them in the cool of the day in the garden, it said. And, and it's emphasized there, there were rivers through that garden where God perfectly nourished uh, that garden and, and his people. You come to the end of the Bible, Revelation, the, the, the perfect presence of God with his people is restored. And that, that eventuality is described there in terms of a, a garden city um, come down from heaven. And there's what's there. There's a, there's a tree of life. And what else? There's a river, right? The river of the waters of life. Uh, God perfectly providing for and dwelling with his people there. In the middle of the Bible, we might think of Psalm 1. Uh, God's people are pictured there as a, a tree firmly planted by a river. River uh, nourishing and providing for it. Um, and, and here I want to ask you, challenge you how, do you, how do you know God as your river, as your refuge, as your provider? Uh, how do you gain strength from him? How are you comforted um, and assured? How do you know his presence? How do you know he's present among us? Is it just something we're supposed to feel or think about? Well, the, the answer is through, primarily through his word. Through his Holy Spirit. Uh, Psalm 1, again, that the man of God is, says is like a, a tree nourished by streams, by a river. Uh, how? There in Psalm 1, it's, it, he delights in the, in the word of God. Delighting in God's word. God's river of blessing comes through his word as his Holy Spirit teaches it to us and applies it to our lives. Gives us assurance of what his word uh, teaches if you want the comfort and confidence of Psalm 46, listen to and study, meditate on, memorize God's word. Uh, his, his river of blessing to you. As we face all the trials of this world, we face natural dangers and suffering and political opposition and persecution or whatever it is God will allow to draw us closer to him and to recognize his presence and appreciate it. It's good and right to pray for relief, to pray for growth, to pray for resources for our families or for our church. Our primary prayer, I think, ought to be that we would know and believe this God more fully. That we would believe that he protects and provides, believe his presence uh, through his word. Uh, we desire his word um, and what it teaches of his protection, his presence and his provision. Well, the psalm ends with uh, then uh, an imperative, and I'd like to look at that lastly. The psalm, as, as sometimes the psalms do, uh, switches to the voice of God in the end. So it's the voice of the psalmist um, uh, up until now, and then verse 10, the voice of God takes over. Uh, and it says, cease striving and know that I am God. Uh, you may know the more, more, maybe more common, more familiar translation of that, be still and know that I am God. It's a good, good translation as well. The, the Hebrew imperative there means uh, more literally to, to let something alone, to abandon it, to quit, to stop doing what you're doing. And, and I want to ask just two questions of this briefly. The, the first is, to whom is this command given? Who's being told to stop, to quit? And then to stop what? To abandon what? 
Well, the, the context of this command here to be still is the, 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 the nations are in an uproar. The nations are raging, presumably against God's design, against God. And then, we're just, then we have description of, of God being the one who does and will end wars, bending everything to his will. So I think it's quite likely that this, this imperative is not given maybe primarily or first to you and I, to believers, but to unbelievers, to the nations who are in an uproar. In that case, it would be very similar to Psalm 2, which says to the nations, to the leaders of the world, to stop striving in vain against God. Be still. Recognize you're fighting against God who created the earth, who, who melts the earth with his voice, who brings an end to wars before it's too late. It's, it's a call to repentance. And, and if that's the case, I, I think we read verse 10 with this emphasis. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's an inevitability. Be still. Know me as your Lord. The fact that God says this to unbelieving powers or enemies ought to be a great comfort to his church. I think certainly also you and I can hear and apply this imperative uh, to the degree that we forget that God, is, God alone is our refuge and strength and security, that it's not your striving, it's not your talents, your 401k or whatever it might be, that only God's presence and blessing will matter to the degree that we can forget that God and not our programs or achievements um, will be exalted and and will work all things for good, Uh, to the degree that we get caught up striving in our own strength, uh, you need to stop to be still. And know and remember that he is God. Uh, what an important thing to be reminded of each day uh, in, in living before the Lord. Uh, it's why we need time, I mean, literally, to be still. And to hear God's promises, hear his assurances. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I uh, thank you for this psalm and for these uh, reminders and assurances of uh, the fact that you provide and you are with us, uh, you protect. Um, we're reminded even by this psalm that doesn't mean that we won't face hard things or be protected in every sense that we might desire, but in every way, ultimately, uh, you never leave us or forsake us. You're with us always uh, and forever. Uh, We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would work uh, in us the the faith um, that this psalm expresses, that we will not fear. Uh, We will not fear in in an ultimate or despairing way uh, because these things are true. Uh, We thank you for that faith that we can see in our Lord Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.